Welcome to the School Life Podcast. James here with you today for a very special episode and actually an episode that looking back would have been truly invaluable to me about 15 years ago. Because 15 years ago, I was a first-time parent looking to enroll my eldest into his first primary school. And my wife and I really had no idea what we were doing. We went on so many school tours in our area looking for, well, something. And it's actually really hard to say what. Maybe something that felt familiar to our own time at school a bit, good facilities, kind teachers, but it was more of a general impression. Fast forward 10 years from that moment, and a lot happened with our family. In finding that good fit for our eldest, we then went through exactly the same process again with our two younger daughters, which inevitably resulted in three kids at three different schools, each of them a different kind of fit for a different kind of child with different learning styles, personalities, interests. Now, what we didn't have in those days was a specific list of research questions that we knew would help us discern whether the school was actually a good fit for our child. And that's where my special guest today, Shannon Short, comes in. Shannon is the Communications and Public Relations Manager for Catholic Education SA, and her department researched and developed a definitive list entitled 10 Questions to Ask When Choosing a School. Some of these are pretty obvious and some are a bit surprising, but all are invaluable. And Shannon joins me to talk through these today. So stick around. So Shannon, to start with, what was the thing that actually inspired you to want to actually start deep diving into these ideas? So we spoke to parents and we listened to what parents say about how do I choose a school that's right for my child? Um, that's where these questions come from. So it's this wonderful list of 10 questions. These are the ones that tended to come up over and over again, the ones that were the really, the linchpin questions that people said, if you ask these questions, you're probably going to come up with a pretty good fit for for your child taking into account all of these different things? Well, the reason why the first question is, does this school fit the needs of my child is number one, yeah. is because that's actually the most important thing. Yeah. You know, I can talk to you about what's the right school for your child. It yep. might be completely the wrong one for mine. Exactly. And I think and I found that too, that for a while I have three kids and for a while I was having three different kids at three different schools because of that very need, that there was going to be a different need for, for each of them, each having different ideas and passions and aptitudes and, and also the kind of communities that's there as well. I think too, as a parent, you need to, trust your heart yeah. and your gut mm. and 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 I think particularly if you you're, you're choosing a primary school you know parents feel the weight of that decision on them and mm. their child might not be able to articulate as much as a choosing it like by the time you get to secondary school your child's going to give you a, a pretty fair idea of who they are and yeah. what their interests are and what's going to inspire them when you're making that decision for a primary school, um, it, it rests a lot more on the on the shoulders of the parent. Yeah. Um, but also parents are reading blogs and magazines and there's so many opinions out there. At the heart of it, that's why we'd say, is this place a right fit for my child? And, and a parent will know that. Number two in that list is, does the school have a particular mission or philosophy that underpins its learning? Um, again, it comes down to, to knowing what's going to 
be the best fit. So, you know, a, a school that has a strong focus on nature play, for example, or the environment. Mm. Um, you know, I have a friend who's, whose child was completely um, crazy about lizards as a, as a preschooler, you know, yeah. to the extent that he drove us a bit nuts um, with the lizards that would come out each time we went to visit. But, you know, a school with a focus on, on nature play and the enro- environment might be a fantastic fit for that child whereas you know if a school that had a really strong stem um, focus it it might not be the right connection place and i guess there's a whole bunch of schools out there that focus a lot more on i'm just trying to think of ones off the top of my head i'm aware of uh social justice activities uh, ecological not, not just in terms of nature play but the idea of how they can literally work to to be better stewards of the earth i suppose is is a term that we used here quite a bit but i guess what makes these schools kind of interesting and different is the way in which it's not just simply a matter of what they do during break times or as co-curricular activities it's seeing these things weaved into curriculum because schools that tend to focus a lot on these particular special aspects like nature play or um, the ecology or social justice or things like that they tend to ingrain that really within the entire life of the school and it becomes uh, an embedded part of everything well look that's exactly right and i guess this question also hits to the heart of what does it mean to be a catholic school yeah so you know you'll sometimes see people asking well how many times you taught religion what are, what are they yeah. taught when in fact the ethos of a catholic school would be that's embedded in everything we do mm. it's not just one subject within a broader curriculum but it's actually at the heart of of who we are so you know if you take ecology as an as an example it might mean that in the maths class you're doing some calculations on the the mountain volume of rubbish that's going through the the school yeah whereas in perhaps a, an art class you might be creating some kind of um, poster or something with an ecological message that is trying to educate people to behave differently yeah. so you would see that those things are embedded not just in the subject but across the whole suite so again if you're comparing schools whether it's a catholic school an independent school or a state school you know you're just getting a feel for what is that kind of philosophy that that underpins that school number three how does the school support student well-being now um i've really had my eyes opened up Now, I mean, this is a very different school sector that we find ourselves in now than when I guess we were at school, um, where student wellbeing was not a focus really that was was tangible. Um, And I went to a a state primary school and an independent secondary school. um, And in neither of those places was wellbeing really a thing, you know, in the 1980s, 1990s kind of era. Now, well-being is really placed at the heart of so much of what the school's all about, but it is a sliding scale. It really does depend on the school as to the kind of form and function and and the way it takes on. Some schools have very big well-being centres and things like that, which really do invest the time in going you know, we are aware that that children do go through very difficult times in their in their life. A lot of developmental stages, um, both in the primary and secondary space, they are different, but they're also, you know, tangible and they're very real. Um, how can we better support the the children through that? Um, do you see in your work in looking at all of the different schools like a, a, a different kind of way in which each of the school engages in in well being? So I would say. You're right, well-being is a lot more present and front and centre in schools than it would have been 
even a decade ago, um, most schools would have somebody operating in a counsellor or wellbeing officer capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but most schools would also have a, a focus on wellbeing in in the everyday act- yeah. activities in a way that hasn't been done in the past. So I guess as a parent, your question might be to the school, so what? Is, how is wellbeing happening in this school? You know, how will you know if my child is, is struggling? So all Catholic schools do a, a survey each term where students are asked to rank on a number of different questions how they're feeling. Um, and one of the reasons that is done is so that they could flag perhaps a student that, that might be saying, actually, I don't feel like I belong at the moment, um, so that a conversation can be had with that child to follow up and offer some support. Mm. So all, all schools would be doing that um, every term. Um, to check how how we, every student is travelling. And I guess, too, a great thing about that is that it also would flag whether or not there's anything culturally happening within the school, um, the things that keep popping up over and over again. So in, in as well as looking at just purely um, each individual student and how they're travelling, also looking at the, the school as a whole and how the culture of the school is going as well to be looked at in a more systemic way. Exactly. Number four, how is technology used to support teaching and learning at the school? This is a big one now, and we we see that now such a big thing. It's such a big point of contention too about how technology is used. In some ways, we we can look at this as people who are involved in education, but it's also, I mean, I probably engage with this just as much as as a parent as I do having to work with it as doing podcasting training in schools, because using technology is such a huge part of what we do. We couldn't do what we do without the technology. And so much of the way that we deliver content now is is done through engaging kinds of technology to keep the students engaged and, and to stay current with where they are in their world, because technology is such a big part of their world. But it really is a sliding scale and exactly how how much and how far you go um, before essentially the technology takes over and becomes more of a distraction uh, than it is for something meaningful and something helpful. Yeah, I, I think the current debate in our community with the rollout of the mobile phone ban mm. um, in the state schools is an interesting example because it, it tends to make you think technology, that's a negative thing. Um, you know, because mm. the ban has been linked to, you know, questions around bullying and, and well-being and, and whether kids are not focused in class. When in fact technology, as you say, is, is just embedded in everything that we do. And if you're going to be employed in, in today's society, you need to be able to engage with technology and use it appropriately. And, you know, whether you're doing... Um, you know, a project and you need to do a survey and you want to get feedback from the community, you would do that online. Um, well, you're teaching podcasting to students in, this, in the same way. Mm. It's about how you engage with technology and make the most of it rather than it being something that you're frightened of. Mm. But certainly for some parents, when they're looking at those early, early years at school, they might be worried about how much time they're going to be spending on technology. So to ask the question, how is technology used in your community is a valid one. Um, you know, as is what kind of learning are they going to going to undertake that might engage technology in a positive way? 
I think that all my different kids have been to different schools, you know, over time, the way in which each school not only engages with technology, but allows technology to be allowed into the school in terms of phones and iPads and the way computers are used in that way, they have all been so different and they've all been so different. And I think that we've had the best experience as parents when we've asked those questions to start with as a parent and gone, exactly how is this? And to say, is this right for us? And is this right for me? And I think that we are now being a little bit more discerning because we could, we've seen what the the, um, uh, the the end result has been from having an open door policy for technology, uh, even in, in our own homes and things like that. And it's not necessarily the greatest. <laughs> it's not the greatest outcome that we've seen. Remember, though, the opposite is true as well in that we are probably getting better communication as parents um, because of technology that you can get more regular updates that is on, true. on how your, your child's going at school than you do get when, in the old days when you used to get a paper report, you know, once a term or at the end of the year. Yeah. So technology has lots of pluses as well. It certainly does. Number five, what extracurricular opportunities are available? Yeah, this one's probably just the most open-ended of them all. It is. It's more a matter of saying, well, what are the opportunities that are linked to this school and working out how easy they are for your child to tap into. So some schools would have specialist sports programs. Others might have drama or music. You know, some might have tutors that come in additional. Um, There could be an environment program running in a school. So it's really just a matter that you're checking what those options are and then again, thinking about how they fit for your child. Number six, how does the school deal with issues raised by students or parents? Before you mentioned about the the changes in well-being and the way well-being was seen, is this idea of parent-student communication, is this something that's changed a lot in the last few years? Yeah, I, I think it has. And I think there's an expectation now and it's not unique to schools. It happens in the workplace as well. You know, that people shoot off an email at eight o'clock at night and expect they're <laughs> going to get an answer at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the 24-7 communication that has changed um, also has an impact in schools. Uh, and I don't think, it, it, you know, it's appropriate to expect that if you shoot something off at nine o'clock at night that the teacher's going to be online and answer it straight away. Um, but I think the question to ask is if there is an issue at my at my school, how do I raise it? What is what is the appropriate way? Now, probably most schools would say, well, you, you first of all, you start with your class teacher and, and then if it's not resolved in that environment, then you would either go up to the year level coordinator or the principal or whoever it is that's it's clearly the responsibility of in in that school. So it's more a matter of understanding what the process is in the school that you're going to Mm. um, rather than what the process is itself, but just making sure that you're aware of it. But I guess the reason this question's in there is probably the number one reason people change schools apart from relocation for work. Is that a fact? um, Is because there's been an issue that they don't think's been dealt with appropriately. Right. And you think about it, you know, for you as a parent, if there's something that you think is going on for your child and you really think the school can't address it, that's probably the path that you're going to go down. Yeah. Um, But what I would say is when you're choosing a school, well, you want to choose a school that you think has got a process that should 
something happen. And the reality is there's an issue. You know, every, everybody has an issue at some point in their life. It's no different for us as adults. Mm. Children experience that as well. What you want to know is that there is something that happens or something that goes on, that there's an easy pathway for you to talk to somebody about what's happening and work out what to do next. Yeah, and to know that you'll be listened to. I think that's a big thing too, the idea that you've got concerns or complaints and they're falling on deaf ears or no one's really paying any attention. That's that's a really big red flag these days, I'd say, for sure. Correct, correct. Now, number seven, and just to add, this list is in no particular order. How is religious education taught? Now, I know that we've got this other episode that we're also running as well about myth busting for Catholic schools as well. And this topic around how religious education is taught really was something that was brought up a number of times. When you were having these discussions with parents and and they were chatting, how did that kind of come up in terms of the kind of questions that they had? I think for lots of parents, it's just tell me more. Like, I, I just don't understand it. So when you say religious education, what does that feel like, look like in your context? Mm. Um, it, it often comes from a place of just, I just don't know, um, or from people who might have a stereotype in their mind of something that might have happened, you know, 40, 50, 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important for families, if they are choosing a Christian school or a Catholic school, to have an expectation that in making that choice, um, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the teaching of that religion is going to be part of that school community. So there are plenty of, of families who don't have a faith background who would choose to put their child in a Christian or Catholic school. Um, likewise, there are people of, of no faith at all who would say, but I still want that opportunity for, for my child. Um, people come at it you know, from a variety of, of ways. And there are people of other faiths, you know, who might be um, Muslim or Buddhist who who choose to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to put my child in that school, perhaps because there isn't one um, locally, but choose a Catholic school because they think that school might be more receptive to another faith mm. and respectful of that. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess as a parent, if you're choosing a Christian or Catholic school, then you, you would expect that your child would engage in the religious activities of that school. Mm. So that might be in a Catholic context going to Mass. It might be in a Christian context going to a worship service. It might mean that you um, learn what's in the Bible and what it means. Um, but there are other things too. You would expect that you would learn to be respectful of people of other faiths and religions and beliefs that you would learn, you know, when you think about the Ten Commandments and about being kind to one another, most people would say, well, I, I, I want my child to be kind. I want my child to be compassionate. I want them to care about others. Mm. And, and some people will say, well, all of those traits, if they come with a faith attached, that's a good thing because I want my child to learn those characteristics. But it's, I mean, religion and faith is a very personal matter. Mm. Um, Again, it comes back to your own heart and what feels right for you. Number eight, what subject choice is available? 
And I know this, especially with my kids as they move into their older years, the subject choice that's available, this becomes a really big thing. Knowing that the students can go down as many different pathways as they want to in order to, to get their SACE or to get an ATAR score, but also in terms of what aspirations they may have going into the, the future as well. We have seen an explosion of different subject choices now, as well as vet courses, additional um, certificate courses that can also go towards SACE points and things like that. This clearly came up for a very important reason because it's something that's so prioritised. Yeah, I mean, this one really doesn't need unpacking no. at all. Just, I mean, most schools would offer the prerequisites for most career pathways. Mm. Um, it, it would be an unusual to find a school that doesn't doesn't offer the, the basics of, of what a child would need for their pathway onto either university or another career. Um, all schools also can tap into a variety of VET programs, you know, so um, it's it's – more a matter of saying, does this school have the right combo um, for where my child wants to head? But often you don't know that <laughs> when you're making, you know, let's face it, year seven is is the, the pathway now yeah. um, for the start of secondary. You may not know at that point. Um, but again, it's just one of those questions that you would consider when choosing a school. Number nine, how does the school support the individual learning and capability of each student? Yeah, I mean, this is another one too where, where education has changed, you know. So in the in the past, you might have had every child learning exactly the same <laughs> content. Oh, yeah. Um, these days, education is, is more individualised than that. And, and also with, um, you know, with any, with any class, you would expect that there would be um, – you know, some children that need more um, and others that might need an adjustment because of because of their background. So, you know, every school um, in today's climate would be meeting the needs of different students in different ways. It would be more as a parent a matter of, of again, asking the question, is, is this going to be done in a way that's going to be supportive for my particular child and their particular needs? Mm, and I know as well now I've seen – you know, a number of <laughs> teachers at schools telling me, oh, you know, it's great news. Um, So-and-so, they did their assessment. A lot of other people did essays. They did theirs as a podcast. It allows them to be able to have a really flexible um, assessment way of um, of, de- of delivering work in a way that, that shows that they've identified and satisfied the criteria and the benchmarks that are required, but through a an assessment uh, task that actually suits their skills and suits their learning style. Exactly. Okay. Lucky number 10, how does the school communicate with families? What opportunities are available for parent engagement? Um, talk to me a little bit about this because as a parent, I've never been a parent that's been particularly involved or engaged. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have been, but um, you know, time has been very, very difficult. But, and that would like fit the criteria for a lot of parents who perhaps feel like they would love to engage more. But there are definitely a lot of parents who would love who love to get involved in the things that are going on with the school. Um, what were the conversations around that particular area and around parent engagement? So there's, there's two a- aspects to it. One is around communication. So mm. how am I going to be updated about what's happening for my child at school? Um, and having a shared expectation of how that will be, you know, how often are their newsletters coming home, but also how, how often will I get an update on their learning? Um, and again, if, if you're in an early learning environment, you might be getting, you know, photos and things sent home every day of what your child did in that particular day. But as they progress in school, that changes. Um, and so you, you want to know that you're involved and engaged and knowing how they're travelling. You don't want to get to the end of the term and discover there was an issue in week one that you should have known about 
you know, seven, eight, nine weeks ago. So, so it's a matter of understanding how communication happens. Um, but also what are the other opportunities for engagement? So if you're a student, you know, in reception, is it appropriate to come in and, and participate in reading? Yeah. Um, are there going to be other opportunities on excursions for you to be involved? Um, are there going to be um, training or programs perhaps on parenting that I might be able to come and tap into? Um, is there a social network um where I can just get support and hang out with other parents of, with children of a similar age. Um, so, again, it's just uh, for the average parent, they can tap into that as little or as much as they like. And you're right, the, the level of parent engagement is probably less than it's been in the past or maybe it's just different. So what we'll do is we'll put the list of these individual, um, the the 10 questions to ask when choosing a school, we'll put them in the show notes for this episode. So it can be there as a resource for for parents who want to have a look at that. Well, I hope we've, you found this a little bit illuminating, that it, this has helped maybe ask some questions that, that you've thought, oh yeah, I've really got to make sure I ask that question when I go to the school because... You know, we only really, I mean, we don't only ever get one shot at this as parents to do this, but the fact is moving a student once you've actually placed them into a school, it is difficult and it is a problematic thing to do. The best you possibly can to try to choose a school that you believe is appropriate for your child with the best of your knowledge and the best of your ability. It's good to try to, to know that before you've put the child in, I'd say. Yeah, and I think the other thing to remember as, a, as an adult in our working day, everything doesn't go well. Yeah, You know, we have days when we come home and we're grumpy because something happened or we're excited because something went really well or maybe one day was just tired and we didn't get into it very much. That's exactly the same for a, for a child at school. Yeah. Um, and, and I think as parents we, we own this desire to fix everything yeah. for our kids, you know, and we want it all to be perfect and we, we want to, you know, take control of it all. But you do need to, to step, I guess, back a step and go, well, hold on a minute, their day is no different. To my day, mm. what I'm actually trying to do is help them have the skills to navigate for the rest of their life the ups and downs of being at school. Yeah. So, in fact, when something goes wrong, and that's our definition, wrong, <laughs> um, we actually need to learn the skills to navigate that. That's that's actually a skill for life. So rather than being quick to jump in and say, well, I'm going to change schools because things aren't going the way I want them to, the other way to look at it is, is, is a learning for life that actually to be a robust individual who, who thrives in life, you actually need to be able to navigate some of those not so good experiences or tricky experiences and have the schools to make your way through that so perhaps that's something to remember when we're quick to want to jump in and fix things yeah and i guess too the the wonderful thing about looking at these individual questions as well about choosing the school is through that we'll also have a better understanding about what possibilities are available through the school in order to work alongside them as parents in a school together to help craft the best outcome for the children and the students all in all anyway yeah very much so thank you shannon it's been wonderful having you on if you have any further queries we'll leave a link in the show notes as well to get in touch with us and uh shannon thanks again and we'll see you soon thank you 